I'm Caleb Brown, host of the Cato Daily Podcast. It is December, and I am once again here to ask you to support this podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute by becoming a podcast sponsor. If you support Cato to the tune of $1,000 or more, I'll gladly give you a shout out on the podcast. The only way to do it is to visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to make your donation. Cato accepts no government money. We depend on the generosity of our sponsors to help us advance the values of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and support the Cato Daily Podcast and the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, December 31st, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. This year gave us new waves of COVID-19, massive government spending, and now, at long last, genuine inflation, like the real deal. Cato's Norbert Michel discusses the unfortunate denial of the reality of inflation by some members of Congress and some members of the Biden administration, and what we might expect going forward. We have seen increases in uh, consumer prices. We have now, uh, as of this recording, have seen increases in producer prices, which is sort of the the front end of the snake when it comes to consumer price uh, inflation. And uh, in general, I, I guess it, it seems as almost as if the uh, political leaders, uh, Joe Biden, um, Chuck Schumer, uh, and others are in, a, in I guess in my view, denying the reality of where we are, or at least have been. Maybe they've stopped now, but you have Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, uh, describing the increases in the price of meat as sudden greed on the part of people who produce meat, and uh, Chuck Schumer on the floor of the U.S. Senate describing massive spending on the part of Congress as something to help Americans yeah. deal with inflation. Yeah. In their defense, as you and I have described have discussed before, we had a very long time with a lot of spending yep. and very and below target inflation. That's right. That's right. And we also had a recent period at the beginning of the pandemic of falling prices. And I don't remember Chuck Schumer, uh Saki or uh, Liz Warren or anybody going out and saying, oh, look, look how generous all these businesses are. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, the reality is they're trying to stay in business and people are going to pay as much as they're willing and able and businesses are going to charge as much as they're willing and able to get. And you're going to, you know, get a price that's going to tell you uh, something about the scarcity, the relative scarcity of those goods, um, you know, to to try to paint uh, business owners is, is greedy is incredibly unfortunate to say the least. And it's not accurate. It's just not the way things go. Right. As the great Bill Niskanen, former chairman of the Cato Institute would say, greed is the constant yeah, in the exactly. equation of prices. No, exactly. You know, and then somebody, I think, I think it was Milton Friedman who sort of joked and said, you know, well, <laughs> I guess who's, who's, who among us here is greedy? And of course, nobody would say they're greedy, right? Uh, it's always the other fellow that's greedy. Uh, <laughs> and everybody's trying to earn a living. Everybody's trying to get something for the, the value that they provide. Um, that's that's the steady. That's the constant. What does the evidence say generally about spending with regard to uh, inflation or spending during a time where people yeah. expect inflation? 
uh, it's not going to help if you're looking at if you're looking for something to bring prices down. <laughs> um, and especially right now, you've got a lot of supply constrained markets. Uh, so, um, you know, if you think of it at a at a base level. Um, you have a, a bunch of businesses who are having a hard time delivering their products and services to people. So what the what the the federal spending does is essentially comes along and says to the customers, "Here, here's a bunch of money. Go go get what you need." And then you go to those businesses, and they they still have the same problem. Like they don't have the stuff. They don't have the ability to deliver the way they were previously. So you're bidding up the prices. You know. So that's. Um, but that, to me, doesn't signal a long-term change no. in the price, the general price level. Maybe it's a short-term change right. in the price of that product. That's right. That's right. And it, but and and so if you do this massive spending bill, and you're sending cash out the door to everybody uh, all over the country, you know, in, in different income groups and different categories, they're bidding up many prices. And, um, you know, maybe some more than others, but that's like, yeah, that, that's what you, that's how you get inflation, right? That's, that's, that's the problem there. So with respect to the political realities, uh, that politicians are typically keenly aware of mm -hmm. versus the economic realities that <laughs> politicians generally try to avoid discussing. And when they do discuss them, eh, misrepresent them perhaps yeah. when they know better, uh, what what should they be accepting now about uh, the the price level in the United States? Well, the price level, it's probably going to be up relative to what it was, if not permanently, you know, possibly for a very long time. I think the thing that they should be worried about is not trying to get that level back down, but the rate of growth in the price level, they should be trying to, to get that down, uh, or at least watching that it doesn't continue to go crazy. Um, you know, and then there, and that's a two part problem. I mean, there's a fiscal part to that and there's a monetary part to that. And it's, some people will agree with this, I'm sure, but, um, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to, on the one hand, have the fed tighten and go in, the, in, in one direction, say South, and then have the fiscal authority go in the opposite direction north by going to very, very loose and, and expansive fiscal policy. So you're working against two, you're not working with each other. Those two sort of, they're not branches of government, but those two arms of the government are working at complete opposing goals. The Federal Reserve, to, for its part, has is apparently going to quicken its taper. And that's right, that's right. If, if you don't understand what that means, uh, is it fair to say uh, that they're going to stop punching the price level in the face or slow <laughs> down the rate at which they are punching yeah. these price level in the face? I, I think I think with the taper, um, it's a little bit different. Uh, the, the taper deals with the long-term asset purchases, the quantitative easing type stuff. And um, this is maybe a little bit controversial, but I don't I don't really see the evidence that those long-term asset purchases uh, or large-scale asset purchases have an enormous effect on the price level. Um, I think that's doing something else, maybe. And so I don't, especially the taper, the way they're talking about doing it, I don't see that having much of an effect on prices. Um, 
think that's just a, it's a separate issue. That's something that they shouldn't have been doing in the first place. Um, so the the quicker they stop doing that, the better. Is that and, a, but is that a prelude to rate increases? Oh, oh, I see, I see. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, it it, it probably is a sign. Yes, it, it it's it yes. So uh, <laughs> to the extent that that the Fed expects to raise interest rates, or yeah, I should say, attempt to move interest right. rates right. in the marketplace right. right. um, in the next year or so, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the extent that that changes expectations within the market, what is, right. how, how do, how should markets, how do markets respond to that sort of thing? And uh, how predictable is that response? Um, I'll take the last part first in terms of how predictable is the response. And I think that's a little tricky. I don't think it's highly predictable. Um, you're always going to have some kind of market reaction to whatever the Fed says. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I mean, the way I look at this last one is the announcements that they had yesterday at the FOMC meeting or when it was done. Um, you know, there's really nothing in there to surprise anybody. So the market shouldn't have much of a reaction. There was a rally. How do you measure that, though? If it comes back down later today um, and it evens out, you know, do we just say that that was nothing? You know, I don't, so so I don't I don't I don't think that they've done anything other than telegraph for the last few months that somewhere before the first half of this new year is over, they're going to be tightening. <laughs> um, so that's that. I think that's kind of baked in, you know. And and if you look at short term expectations, different. It's hard to measure these things, but if you look at surveys and if you look at different measures of expectations, what forward rates and interest rates and things like that, forward interest rates, you can get a gauge of what the market or the bond market is expecting to happen with inflation. And it it may, it, it seems very reasonable to me, based on what the Fed's been doing, um, that over the next year, people expect the rate of inflation to be a little bit elevated compared to what we're used to, but they expect it to come back down long term. Uh, they do expect the Fed to work to get it under control and to get it under control. I think that makes sense given what we know about the Fed itself and and, and how they operate and what, what they worry about and their credibility with inflation. Uh, and it also makes sense if you just look at the economics of what's gone on with the pandemic. You know, you had this this really, really sharp shutdown government imposed shutdown, uh, really sharp snap back in the other direction. Unlike And a whole lot of business failure it, right, in, in the meantime. Right, 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 right. Unlike anything that we've ever seen. I understand nobody wants to see $6 gas. I don't either. Um, but there's a lot of stuff going on that's not normal. And, you know, it's unreasonable to expect to snap a finger and have it go right back to the way it was with very, very low inflation after everything that we've been through. Uh, so it's going to take a little time to work out. And it's a global thing as well. I mean, this isn't just just something that happened in the or this isn't something that happened just in the United States. So, uh, yeah, comparing the United States to other countries, what are your takeaways from that with respect to inflation? You know, the European Union, mm-hmm. broadly speaking, has inflation that's quite a bit lower than we do in the United States. That's right. Um, and I, I could not tell you why. I just, you know, this it's, it's a heterogeneous, heterogeneous sort of uh, set of events. I mean, there there's a big supply crunch, a big demand swing. There's no reason that those should be the same or they should have the same 
out uh, effect on output everywhere, uh, same effect on prices everywhere. And things are not over. So things might change in the European Union and things might change, uh, you know, in, in other parts of the, the Far East. And uh, we're not, this isn't necessarily over. To the extent that Congress is trying to goose this or that industry, which they're doing all the time, yeah, um, that messes with relative prices. And relative prices give people the ability, the, the, the relative, the relationships among prices give people better information to plan their lives. That's right. And uh, so to the extent that Congress is goosing this industry or that <laughs> industry, I mean, I presume your advice would be, please stop doing that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I'll, I'll go even further. This is uh, something that George Selgin here at Cato has been behind for a very long time. Um, I, the, the Fed itself, I would argue, he would argue, should not be targeting prices. And that's sort of uh, scary to a lot of uh, free market types or conservative types. That um, doesn't sound like a Milton Friedman thing. And, you know, that doesn't sound like price stability. But the truth is that sometimes the price level should fall. Uh, sometimes prices should come down and the Fed shouldn't be trying to stamp that out. So, yeah, I don't want the Fed screwing around with prices. I don't want them targeting asset prices. Um, I want them to be neutral as possible. I want them to be as passive as possible uh, and just passively supply the amount of money that people are demanding and let those individual prices fluctuate as the market conditions dictate. And I'd want Congress to do the same thing. So, you know, given whatever your views are on whether or not uh, asset purchases by the Fed are are driving uh, higher prices now, uh, somebody believes that, that there's a role there. And uh, to the extent that they are not purchasing assets uh, or treasury bonds or whatever, mm -hmm. um, you know, how does that impact the U.S. price of borrowing? Well, that that's also very controversial among economists. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, if you if you just if you envision anyone other than the United States and you create a scenario or talk about a scenario where the the federal government purchases most of the government debt uh, or or an increasingly large amount of the government debt over time, you would probably say that, that is a banana republic, right? Uh, you would say this is some kind of sham. This is an obvious sham. This isn't going to work. This is going to blow up in your face. You're, nobody else is going to buy your debt, you know, that kind of thing, right? Well, the, the only problem with that, and that's, I think that's an accurate story, and I think the, the, the problem for us is that we are the United States, and um, apparently there's a whole lot of leeway in terms of what you can get away with and buying your own debt. So um, we're exceptional, we're Norbert. So <laughs> that's right. Uh, we are so much better relative to most countries uh, that despite whatever problems we might think about this arrangement, um, our debt is still safer and our credibility is still higher than pretty much everyone else. So we're too big to fail. Is that what you're saying? It, at the moment, it looks that way, doesn't it? Yeah. But when things change a little they, things bit. Things change in a hurry. They can change a lot. They could be really bad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not it's not a safe game to be playing by any stretch of the imagination. We've gotten away with it so far. Um, and, you know, statistical models need historical data to be credible. And we don't have anything 
to help us predict when it's going to turn around. So we should put that on our money. We've gotten away with it so far. Yeah, that would be that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> or only on the hundreds, you know, but everything else stays the same. Norbert Michel directs the Cato Institute Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives. It is the final week for our push to make you podcast listener a podcast sponsor. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started. And thank you. <laughs>